1: Andre Tonsil says, "Can Notre Dame go three deep across the O line? Just a little worried. Go Irish breakdown. Go three deep? No, Um, no team goes three deep, bro. Yeah. Uh, Now, can they go three deep in numbers? Yes, they can go three deep in numbers. They actually have more than fifteen guys numbers wise. I think they're like eighteen. But as far as uh, three deep of guys ready to play, no, I don't think so. Because what and really what it comes down to, Brian, is I actually think in some positions they can go three deep in the offensive line and the interior." Because you have uh, you have um, yeah. Zeke Krell at center, and then Pat Coogan is a veteran player. But the Notre Dame staff loves Ashton Craig. Oh, now, really? whether he still step- oh, they love Harry, loved them, and Coach Rudolph loved them. Like they love Ashton Craig. Now, will he be ready to seize a number two job this year or more next spring? That still remains to be seen because he's still building his body back up. But he's already almost three hundred pounds now. Like they love Ashton Craig. So center, I think you can go three deep, especially if Ashton Craig passes up Pat Coogan, and Pat Coogan's now the third guy, they're three deep there. Right guard, you've got Andrew Kristofic, you've got Rocco Spindler, and you've got uh, Billy Shrouth, and let's say Michael Carmody. Well, then you've got like Charles Jagasaw and Sam Pendleton and some some younger players like that, You know, maybe Ty Chan. So you can go three deep there. The question for me, the problem that I have, I don't know that you can go three deep at tackle. That's the bigger question for me. What do you
2: think they're right going to start Jagasaw at guard or tackle, or is that just completely unknown?
1: I think it. I think they'll start him at tackle, and and kind of see early on how the interior guys are playing, and then also maybe take some of the pressure off Charles. But I do believe, Brian, it would not shock me if after the first couple of weeks of fall camp, that if they're looking at the guard and they're just like, man, I don't know if these guy's sort of are an the answer that they could they then throw him, him in inside. there. Yeah. Because I mean but,
2: athletically he's good enough to start as a freshman.
1: Yeah. A I dude. think I think him moving the guard would, would require the other guards not to be playing well. Now in, in a in a yeah. if, if Notre Dame's depth chart was as healthy as it needs to be at tackle, then I think you'd be more prone to just move him there. But right now, if if Blake I don't think both Blake Fisher and Joe Alt go pro after this year. I would argue and, and 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 most people will disagree with me on this. I would argue there's a better chance they both come back and they both leave. I don't think either one of those things happens. I think one, I think Joe Walt goes and I think Blake Fisher stays. And I think the selling point in mm-hmm. the name is next year you're gonna move to left tackle. But then you go into 2024 and you've got Blake Fisher, T- uh, Tosh Baker, and Emil Wagner at tackle. That's really it. Ty Chan's playing there now, he's not a tackle. He needs to move inside. Is Sullivan Absher tackle? I don't know. So you gotta look at it and say, number one, we need To improve our talent attack our depth of tackle but number two if i'm wrong and there's a chance i could be wrong and if blake because because i did my breakout show yesterday and i talked about blake if blake breaks out and joe walt just does what joe walt does it's not out of the realm of possibility that two of the three high first tack uh, two of the four tackles first off the board in next year's draft for those two kids right it's not out of the realm of possibility i still think blake fisher's a year away for being a first round draft pick. I think he's I think he's more of a come back for your senior year and then you're a top 15 pick. But if if he makes the jump a year sooner, Brian, it's not out of the realm of possibility. And then if you get into that situation and now you've got to transition Charles Jackson back out to tackle, I don't know if that's where you want to be, ideally. So unless you think we need to put him in the starting lineup, I think you need to develop him at tackle. I really do. Because I think he could be a star there too. And then if you go into 2024 and Blake Fisher moves to left tackle, now Charles and Tosh Baker and Emil Wagner are battling for that second tackle spot. And if you, in the worst case scenario for Notre Dame, well, worst case for 24 would be a great scenario for 23 because it means they both played like All-Americans. But if Blake and Joe both leave, now you've got Jagasaw, Baker, and Emil battling for two starting jobs as opposed to just Tosh and Emil at tackle. And then after that, what do you got? So I, I just think the the potential of someday having a battle of J- Jagasaw and Emil and and Gearby Lambert, if you're able to get him, is kind of ideally where you want to be. And then if you're like Emil's great, Girby's great, Charles is great, one of them's going to move to guard and be a starter guard.
2: That way you get all three on the right. You, team.
1: Then then you do it. It'll take care of itself. Sure. Yeah, but right now I would need to know that he's definitely. I'm not leaving him as the backup tackle, Brian, if he's my best guard, right guard. I'm, I'm just not. But I would not. Yeah, need you got to play him and then move yeah, him. Later. I'd, yeah, no. Exactly. I'd have to not feel good about my other guards at right guard before I would move that's, him. To be
2: that's what guard. Alabama has done with some of their young studs. They start them at guard and they move them around until they play left tackle.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Next question is from Jordan Schreiber. When is Smitty starting his recruiting show and why is he focusing on the Southeast? Didn't he move to Texas? So I'll let you answer those, Brian.
2: Um, The Southeast number one just has the most players and it's not even in the same stratosphere with any other area. And I moved Texas, moved right back to Florida. So I'm going to be, I'm talking to some different people about it just to put it in perspective. I've made friends all over the South. I've got a buddy that, I can rely on in central Louisiana. I've got a few that are around the Atlanta area, camps, different things, different coaches. I can stay. So I might do a show with Driscoll one day and I'm in Florida. Two days later, Driscoll doesn't even know it. I'm in. I'm in Arkansas or I'm in Alabama doing a show at some
1: freaking cafe. Oh, that's true. I'll call Brian. Like, Hey man, what's going on? He's like, Oh, I'm just on the highway. And like, you know, East Texas, I'm like, e- what are you doing? Yeah, you know, I'm just heading out over to see such and such. The other thing, too, Brian, is is you and I will. We also talked about this the state of the recruit, state of recruiting show still exists. There will be times when Brian and I, or Ryan and Brian, do a show at CFP Nation that is a more national show, 100%. Uh, but the regular show that Brian is going to do is going to be the Southeastern show. Uh, Yeah, like we may say, hey, like, look, we're going to break down the top West Coast kids today. And it'd be more of that state and recruiting thing. It'll still be Brian, but it won't be that regular show. It'll just be us saying, hey, you know, let's talk about like I think like one of the topics we discussed was like, um, you know, there's these great battles going on between USC and Oregon. Let's talk about it. You know, let's talk about, uh, you know, we may do a show here this summer. And actually, Brian, this is actually a really good idea I'd like to do is some some recruiting classes that maybe aren't getting the love that some others are that i really like and that and ryan, is a show
2: we can do year-round <laughs>
1: yeah ryan and i were, were chatting about this the other day and just looking at some of the classes that like that we really like like you know penn state's ranked kind of high for rivals they're ranked sixth but you don't hear them talked about a whole lot you know that as far class as is freaking
2: good man they're,
1: they're not. they haven't they're not even done yet i think they got a shot with chris cole i think they got a shot with malachi williams like they're not even done yet, they're doing a really nice job, and I'll tell you who's who's really putting together a quiet, good class, especially on offense, is Stanford. Stanford's doing some they really went nice
2: nuts things. in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, man. I did
1: not see now, that comment at part all. Part of it is they have 26 kids committed, right? Well, that's because their
2: roster is in, in right. direct. But they're I doing some
1: nice things. North Carolina's putting a nice class together. Clemson's class isn't ranked very high because they don't have a lot of kids, but they're landing some really good football players. So, you know, we'll, we'll have some shows like that, but that'll be more of that state of the recruiting type of stuff that we'll do together. But the regular show, and, and part of it that is, so what does the regular show mean? It means there's going to be consistent publish dates for that. So, like, we're 100%. going to publish it. I think, what would we say, Brian? You're going to have something that goes out. Monday, um, Thursdays, like, I'm hoping. Yeah, it's kind of and, the tentative um, plan. Yeah. yeah, like, I think we'll publish them Mondays. I think the other one was... Thursday or Friday, and then and then uh, during the season, he'll also have a uh, Saturday, a, morning, Saturday show. morning show that he'll publish from the night before. And, like, we've had some fun, like, at some, and I don't know if it'll be for this year or next, but, like, we're going to start a, um, a CFP Nation Instagram page. So, and Brian will kind of have his from the road stuff. So one of the shows he'll do during the season. This is going to be more for the uh, YouTube channel is a roadshow. So like, you know, on the Instagram page, like he'll, you know, we'll find like a really cool little local restaurant at every high school he's going to. And,
2: you know, talk that about stuff, that,
1: do stuff from the, the sideline. Hey, I'm at the sideline, so-and-so. Just a couple of quick takeaways. So we'll do a lot of stuff like that. That'll be on the YouTube channel. But the uh, the regular breakdowns for the podcast channel are going to be as of right now. I think Monday and Thursday. I think or Monday and Friday. I forget. I can't remember if we said recording day was going to be Thursday and the publish day is going to be Friday or the. But we'll, we'll get all figured out. But there will be consistency where the show gets published yeah. at this time, and then eventually we'll we'll get to have some live shows and things like that as well. So we have a lot planned, Jordan, no doubt. But you guys know me. I want to start with a focus and then build on top of that. And the way to start with with this is to have um, is to have that that South Asian focus and eventually we'll grow to where we do talk about more things. And it will be a lot of fun. Next question from John a one, since you've been covering Notre Dame, how do you feel about this 23 teams chances to win a title compared to past years? Oh boy. I mean, that's, that's a great, a great question. question, John. Uh, look
2: at, at this time, change.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I, Because, like, some of the best teams Notre Dame had, I didn't know that they were going to be that kind of team going into that year. Like, I I didn't know that the 2017 team was going to be as good as it was. I thought they were going to be better, but I didn't anticipate that they were going to go out and run for 300-plus yards in seven of the first eight games and run for 500 against a BC team that had two high draft picks on their defensive line. Like, so, you know, and then there's other teams I thought were going to be really good that that just weren't as good as they, and then other years, I thought the 2018 team was going to be pretty good and they were pretty good. So it just depends. I would say this is probably, since I started really covering the team back in like 07, this is probably my top four teams that I'm ex- most excited about going into the season. But Brian, it's not just because of how good Notre Dame is. Look, this is a big thing. Like you have to also look at what you're going up against. And and the fact the part of the thing for me about Notre Dame is the fact that some of the top teams, I don't anticipate them being as good as they have been in recent years. Now they're still gonna be very good. And Georgia's still a championship caliber team, Bama's a championship caliber team, Clemson's a championship caliber team, Ohio State's a championship caliber team, Michigan's a playoff caliber team. Right? Those teams are still really good, but I feel like they were here in the past and now they're kind of here. And Notre Dame's kind of coming up. It's it's why I thought the 2015 Notre Dame team had a shot to win a championship because there was no other great team. That Bama team in 15 wasn't as good as their 2012 team or their 2020 team to me. 17 was another example to where, I mean, Notre Dame took the, defend, the, 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 the national championship runners up down to the wire. Notre Dame twice had the ball in the fourth quarter with a chance to win that game against Georgia in 2017. And then Georgia took Bama over. That was not a great Bama team. That's the Notre Dame could have won it that year, but I, I wouldn't have known. I didn't know that going into the season, right? That's more hindsight 2020. I didn't know that going into the season. I thought the 2015 team had a chance to be special because they were just so talented. And this team reminds me of that team more than any other. There was a lot of question marks. There's some coaching question marks. And the question marks on coaching on this team are not nearly as great as they were on that team. Um, but there just was a lot of talent. And the question was, okay, is this talent going to step up? And play to its potential. You know, does Malik break out and build on the bowl game performance he had? Does Torian Folson it, it break out? Is CJ ProSize going to be able to make that transition to running back and be a difference maker? You know, then there's questions like who steps up alongside, you know, Will Fuller that season? Cause I because I believe um, you know, like when when you looked at that the receiving core, I mean you had Corey Robinson on that team, you had Chris Brown, you had Amir Carlisle, you had some guys, but the question was. You know, would they would they really be able to take it to that next level and really support him the way that you expected? And those were all question marks, but but the talent was there. You thought the offensive line was going to be good, right? There just was this expectation that the offensive line was going to be really good. I didn't know what Quentin Nelson was going to be, but you thought he was going to be pretty good, right? <laughs> you kind of feel I mean, I don't think Billy I don't think Bill, I'm not saying Billy Shrouth is going to be as good as what Quentin Nelson was but I have a similar vibe about Billy Shrout that I had at, about Quentin at the time. I didn't think Quentin Nelson was going to be the best interior offensive lineman their name was going to have in 30 years going into 2015. I didn't see that. I thought he was going to be really good, but I didn't see that. You know, So I feel like Billy Shrout is where I thought Quinton was then. He's going to step in, make a smooth transition, and be pretty good. He'll have some freshman moments, but it'll be pretty good. That's what I think the drop will be. So, Brian, there's a lot defensive line wise. You know, there was more veterans there, but they didn't have the depth. I love the depth more here. So, there's just a lot to be excited about with this team. But they need some breaks to happen. They need to. They need a couple guys to play better than you think they're going to play. They need to have some good luck with health, and and uh, and. That's just kind of where I'm at when I look at this team compared to some past teams. So probably top four for me.
2: This There's one ad, added thing. You and I talk about this. Every other year it kind of goes this way. Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, they all are great teams, but they don't have experienced quarterbacks coming back.
1: That is humongous.
2: It's, I mean, it's not fun playing Alabama. It's really not fun when he's got Bryce Young.
1: Or Mac Jones is a senior. that's what I mean. You can't have to, an experienced uh, right.
2: guy at quarterback, and then oh, by the way, he's got three guys right. getting ready to be drafted at receiver.
1: Ryan, you don't no, have to beat Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson. No. I, and I love Kate Klubnick. I think you do too. We're both high. But he's him. still
2: going to be a first-year starter, that's and he's bro.
1: still not Trevor Lawrence. Trevor he'll, Lawrence. He'll, is a he'll never be Trevor. Yeah. he he he's not Deshaun Watson. He's just yep. not. He's very good, but. To your point, he's not Deshaun, he's not Trevor. Yep. And and neither is anybody on Alabama's roster. There's no Tua on Alabama's roster, in my opinion. There just isn't. Uh there there, there isn't. There is no Joe Burrow at LSU or Clemson. Or, it's a really
2: weird quarterback year right. in college football, to be right. honest. Because the, the best guy in Chapel Hill in LA. Right.
1: <laughs> but they're not on those typical power right. teams. The best quarterbacks yeah. in college football this year are, are, are on teams that aren't typical, you know, title right. contenders. Now, Caleb's good enough to make USC that a title contender. I mean, he just is, is especially depending He's on the you know, part of it's matter. going to be the matchup. You know, what are the matchups they would get if they did get to the postseason? But that's the thing is you've you've got to take advantage of that. So that's factor. Not only am I excited about Notre Dame, but there's those rests. And the other thing, too, Brian, is one of the things that's hurt Notre Dame in the past is Brian Kelly was not a great prepare you for a bowl game oh, coach don't
2: get me started don't get me they started were
1: much that. better at Ugh. let me play that team after a week of preparation right and 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 so to me, the fact that you could potentially knock out two perennial title contenders in the regular season is huge in this regard as well. You could potentially knock Ohio State out if you beat them. Now, if and what I mean by that is this: if you get to the end of the season and you beat Ohio State and they're twelve and one, you're eleven and one, and there's three undefeated teams, there's a good chance Notre Dame gets in over Ohio State, right? Because they'd have another big win, and you know you get to all those type of things. They'd have a shot. And now Ohio State has to be perfect the rest of the year. They got to beat Penn State. They got to beat Michigan. They got to beat Iowa, Wisconsin, whoever they would play in the Big Ten title game. You have a good. You you probably look. If it comes down to it, and Notre Dame is a one loss team, and Clemson's a one loss team, being in the ACC, Notre Dame's getting in over Clemson. So at least one of those teams, possibly two, and 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 depending on how the season goes, you could potentially knock out three teams that that college football analysts project as title contenders. You could knock them out in the regular That's season. Hilarious. That's right. Right. So now, all of a sudden, you've given yourself some favor. You don't have to beat Ohio State in the postseason now with a month of preparation. You don't have to beat Clemson. You do not want to play Dabo Sweeney with a month for him to prepare with when he has a good team. You just don't.
2: He's a good coach.
1: And, uh, you know, so those are the things that I look at uh, when, when I when I look at how do I feel about this Notre Dame team? Uh, it's great brian i'll tell you what man they are bringing the fire today with the questions today you guys always do a great job with questions but today you guys are really bringing it great question john mr 2.0 aside uh, from what he's been asked to do in our scheme what would be the ideal role for howard cross in any scheme i i think an ideal role for me is that you had a bigger nose guard as your starter And he's a three tack and and he could and he or, or he could play he could slide between both. So oh, like, let's run, say run you had two situations. Let's say Chris Smith was coming back, and you were going to start Chris Smith and nose tackle, big three hundred twenty pound, just you know. And then all of a sudden, the ne- next and that's what I thought made him and Howard Cross such a really good Notre Dame was a really good at nose tackle last year, underrated good at nose tackle last year with Chris Smith and Howard Cross because you had two guys that could do different things. The problem is neither of them are great volume guys. Chris Smith was really good, but he can only give you about 20 snaps a game, right? Because he was a big kid. But let's say you had a Lewis Nix and you could rotate Howard as your number two at nose and three technique. And maybe he only plays 10 snaps at nose, Brian. And his other 15 to 20 snaps come at three technique. That would be more of an So my numbers for Howard wouldn't change a whole lot from a snap standpoint, you know, get him 30 to 35 a game. But they'd be split between the nose and the three technique. That's that would be the ideal role for me, and just so he he keep him fresh because when Howard Cross is fresh, he's hard to block because he's so quick off the line. He's just naturally low built.
2: Third and seven, brother. Oh, he I've dominates the
1: leverage me. battle, Brian. Dominates the leverage battle consistently because yeah, he's of got just more the power side. than
2: he's giving credit for. Yeah. So.
1: he's got some length too. You know, we forget. You know, we talk a lot about DNA and Bryce Young is Bryant Young. We forget Howard Cross's dad. He's got some NFL DNA in him as Your well. Daddy could ball. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Next question is from Brian Van Gordes Burner. Other than CJ Carr, who is the best quarterback prospect? And I would assume we're talking about the 2024 class. Um, you know, look. Uh, That's rough,
2: man. That's here, here's the try.
1: thing. I'll tell you some guys I like. Number one, and this is a very controversial topic. I know a lot of people don't agree with me on this. But I, I I am not as high on Dylan Rayola as a lot of other people. Now, I get why people have him ranked number one. I do. I get it. He has great physical tools. But I don't see a guy that processes really quickly. I don't see a guy that's consistently accurate. He'll go out in one session and look great, and then the next he'll, he won't. I, I was never blown away by his game film in regard to how it translates. He's a very good quarterback, don't get me wrong, talent-wise. He's an elite quarterback talent-wise. I also think it's a bit of a red flag for me that he's about to be on his third high school team in four years. Now, I know in this situation, the third school is just getting into Georgia where he's going to play college ball. I get all that. But he also was already on two high school teams before this. And that's just a little bit of a red flag for me, Brian. So, but he's still very, he's still very good. He's still very good. Uh, I like Aaron Nolan a lot because, and here's why, Brian. He is going to the perfect system for what he does. Accurate, smart, quick decision maker. Good enough to get the ball down. He doesn't have a bazooka for an arm, but he can get the ball down the field. Like him and DJ Lagway are like completely polar opposite players. You know what I mean? Like they are. Where DJ just has just his arm strength. I actually think DJ Lagway has the best pure arm strength in the class, even more than Dylan. I mean, his it's insane. It's he can throw off one way side side and stuff. It's crazy. Uh, but, but Aaron Nolan and CJ Carr are very similar players. Like I think CJ has got a little bit more physical tools than air does, but I think they're both smart. They're great processors. And in today's college football, those are the guys that are really great are the guys that have it up here. Not necessarily guys that have the big arms, but they're not accurate and all this other kind of stuff. I like Aaron Nolan a lot because of the fit. I think the fit is great. Um, I'll tell you a guy that's really grown on me, Ryan, uh, or Brian is the kid going to Florida State, and I have oh, no I clue how really to pronounce wrong. his last name. Uh like Croman Hoke or whatever. Cromen- he's Hoke. he's raw, but I love his physical tools. There's a lot of guys like that in this class, though, Brian. Guys that are just really toolsy, but just have a lot to learn. And I do like Julian Sane a lot. I think he's a little overrated. I'll put it to you like this if Julie if Julian Sane would have picked Notre Dame and CJ Carr would have committed to Alabama, their rankings would be flipped in my opinion. I love Julian San, especially he's got some gunslinger to him. I just think him being a top 10 player is just too high, but he's easily a top 50 guy for me. I love Julian San. I know he's impressive at Elite 11, but I like his high school film better. Like I said, he's got some Baker Mayfield to him, in my opinion. He's got that gunslinger mentality. He's more athletic than Baker is though. That's the difference. Uh, So I really like Julian San. A lot of the other guys in the class, Brian, are just toolsy guys that just need a lot of work. Like Colin Hurley, can look great one instance and then the next you're like, okay, this kid should have not reclassified. This kid should have stayed in the 25 class. He needs, he's, he's got one of the strongest, He, you he can throw a football 60 miles yeah. out. But there's he's just got, a lot yeah. of guys like that though. Yeah. The tools of the guys that just need a ton of work. So that's a little bit of my concern with this class, but some of the guys that can like the, you know, kid that I like that doesn't get talked a lot about is the, the other kid going to Georgia. Ryan I, like him a lot. I, I do. I'm with you, man. I'm, I, I, I honestly, I think it was a bit of a mistake for Georgia to, to, to make the move that they did. I, I really do. I think Puglisi more of the kid that fits with what Georgia does. And it's a leader. He can make plays I with know. his legs, all that kind of stuff. He's not that big. I'm the, I'm the name. I'm the brand and all that. I, 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 ooh,
2: I, I have a, I have a good backstory about him. Soon as Rayola committed, the other quarterback texted Kirby. am not going to go into a lot of detail, but he made it clear that he was sticking with Georgia and he was good with it.
1: Yeah. That he's a, a competitor. Lot, huh?
2: He's a competitor. That is a good sign. I would yep. not be surprised. He ends up being Georgia's quarterback as a junior, and the other kid is not there.
1: Yep i'm 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 with you. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. I'm with I'm, you. We're that. not
2: the only ones. There There are reasons yeah. around Rayola to believe he's boomer bust. Yeah, I mean, the arm strength and the all the yeah. other stuff is. Godzilla like but. But, but
1: there's just a lot of guys lagway's that way. Michael Hawkins going to Oklahoma's that way. There's physical tools there. They're just guys that need a lot of work, you know. Um, but uh carr I mean, has my,
2: like the highest floor of anybody in yeah. air. I think Carr's slightly higher in air because he's got a better arm. Yeah, I know air yeah. personally have for a couple years, he'll do fine at Ohio State. Because
1: he's got but it here, man. Like he is gonna pick hard. up like, he's gonna pick up Ryan Day's offense like anything. that. I mean, he really is
2: really articulate. He threw yeah. for 5,000 yards or whatever. I was just talking to yeah. I forget what it
1: was. Yeah. And he doesn't he look like player. physically, he doesn't look impressive. And you're just like, oh, wow, that was a heck of a throw. Oh, wow. He, because his anticipation is so good. Like his ability to process reads and get, I mean, I, in high school, you're watching him throw routes where guys are like hitting the top end of the route and the ball's coming out and it just throws it right to the perfect 100%. spot. Like, I mean, he's got him and CJ are really good when it comes to that kind of stuff. Really. Good. I think so, both
2: of them will get paid.
1: Yeah, and so they may not have the, wow, look at the big arm that everybody in, – in, but those are the beginning of the guys that put up the numbers and win the games. That's right, and that's what the NFL is looking for. Uh, seven, uh, eight you know yards,
2: I mean? go ahead and play your cover three. Yep. It's going to be second and three all day long.
1: Yep. Somebody asked, and Tate Martell, i an absolute cannon as well. I never thought Tate Martell was that talented. I never thought was, I never,
2: that was the one kid that urban took out of high school. I'm like, what are you
1: doing? Oh, he knew exactly what he was doing. It's because Tate was a real popular kid in the class. That's exactly what he did. Uh,
2: he wanted the kid to get the yeah, other kids.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that, that's, that's absolutely what he did. Cause when you go, when you go back and look at, at Tate Martell and who Ohio state signed, you got to remember who they brought in in, in, in years before. Right. So, uh, they they were feeling pretty good about where they were quarterback and year before uh, they had this kid named Dwayne Haskins on the mm-hmm. roster uh, who was in the 2016 class. So, yeah, they they were in good yeah. position. They had signed this kid named Joe Burrow uh, the year before that, that they liked a lot. Uh, so they knew that they were good at quarterback. They brought in Tate Martell for the recruiting impact. It's no, no question about it. No question about it. That was an go. easy as an easy one. So that's uh, those are my thoughts on the quarterback class. Good question. Good question. Brian, anybody else that you kind of saw that you've seen that just really stands out as like a guy that you need to talk about? There's there's some guys here and there that have some ability. I'll tell you, I, I don't I don't think he's a great prospect, but I thought it was a really good pickup. Stanford getting Elijah Brown was a really nice pickup. He can that's run that offense that, pretty well. I mean, he plays
2: a modern day. I mean he's and gonna be exactly
1: able- exactly.
2: They got better than you or I thought they were gonna get. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. That no. was a Again, is he a is he a top ten quarterback for me? Probably not. Uh, but but I that bet you was a, he starts two for, years at Stanford. for Stanford. Really good pick. And I'll tell you another guy that's not in my top ten in this class that everybody else hypes up, and I don't understand is Jaden Davis. I do not get that one. He was awful at the Elite Eleven. I mean. His film's not even that great to me. I, I do not His understand the infatuation people have.
2: I well,
1: have and and I don't a mind a funky throwing game, motion if you can get the ball where it's supposed to go to. But he doesn't get the ball where it's supposed to, to go. Where to. Where he was supposed right. to
2: throw a bunch of those passes. <laughs> Exactly. The poor guy in the stands got dunked. Okay.
1: Exactly. It was bad. Exactly. Whatever. I just I don't get that one. Like there's this debate. Like who got the better quarterback, Ohio State or Michigan? It's not even a debate. No, I was not even.
2: Eleven when they went one to the other. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, Air
1: made the throw and he didn't. Yes, and and Brian and and that's Elite Eleven. It's fun to watch. I don't care. But the, pro- the thing is, but that it's translates the to, to the day. exactly, exactly, <laughs> the both, of them, both of them. He's just more accurate. I don't, care, accurate. That, I don't care that Air went to Elite 11, tore it up. I didn't need the Elite 11 to tell me that Air Nolan is smart and accurate as a quarterback. I, I saw that already on film. I didn't need that. I didn't need them to tell me, oh, CJ Carr is really smart and accurate. I already knew that, right? I also didn't need them to tell me that Jaden Thomas doesn't have a great feel for playing quarterback. I didn't need to tell me that either because. What that was was just the rest of the high school football analysts that have been hyping this kid up, seeing what you and I had already seen on film, and be like, nah, this kid ain't it. This kid ain't it. So, um, uh, that, that one made very little sense to me. It, it really did. But, uh, I, I'd take Air Nolan over him any day of the week. Uh, who was your favorite quarterback for John Elway to face off against in the '80s and then the '90s? Dan Marino. That's who it was because everybody kept trying to be like Dan Marino's better than John Elway. And no, he's not, and uh, that's why I, I enjoy always enjoyed it when the Broncos and uh, and and Dolphins played each other. So because uh, in the games that mattered, the Broncos um, always won. So yeah, that was that was one for me. I hated it when they played Joe Montana because you knew Joe Montana was also always coming with a great team. That was never fun. But he even got Elway one year in the playoffs in, uh, Brian, when he was with Kansas City. So, yeah.
2: Montana was as clutch a quarterback in clutch moments yep. as there's ever been.
1: Yep. Yep. I'm trying to look at this here and, uh, and, and look at some of the results that they had when they played each other. So – uh, I'm trying to see playoffs. Where can I see playoffs? We'll see the date? So it looks like here, um, the '85 looks like the Dolphins beat them in the regular season. In in '98, I don't know. I, this is this thing is weird to look at. But I know that when they played in the playoffs in 2000 and uh, or 1998, that Denver smoked them. This looks backwards. So I can't figure this out. But yeah. That's who I want to play. They didn't play very often, but that's who I wanted him to play. I just love the fact that in John Elway's last season, he got to go against Marino in the playoffs and they destroyed him. That always made me a little happy. And I like Dan Marino. It was more about people just hating on, hating on, you know, saying he was better than John Elway. I just never thought that he was.
2: Somebody just asked in the chat what I think about Cole Mullins real quick. Mullins is a really good football player, plays for a great coach. I've met his coach, great guy. I think he'll eventually grow into a strong side end, but he can play a lot of different roles in the 3-3-5 defense. He fits it well. And I bet you money he plays on special teams pretty much from
1: day one. Sure. I do not get the ranking and the offer list for Cole Mullins. I do not understand it. And he
2: plays in Gwinnett.
1: That's that's the thing. We we talked about this in my show yesterday. I know you heard it, but it's just – like, usually with a kid, you can look at and say, okay, I get why this kid's underranked because he's raw and, he, you know, there's this and there's that. You can usually identify even, though, coach. even yeah. if you don't agree with it, yeah. you can at least understand why a guy may not be ranked as high. That one is just one I just do not understand. And I went off a little bit about that yesterday. I just, I just do not understand. Next question is from Brandon Plesner. Who's the next strong side end in the rotation behind Nana and Javante uh, Jean-Baptiste now that Aaronsberger is gone? I just don't see Nana bringing much impact there. See, you You keep saying this about Nana, Brandon, and I understand where you're coming from, but you're missing the point of what Nana brings to the table. He doesn't bring impact to the table. You don't need your number two field end to be an impact guy. if He is great, but not many teams are putting the second guy out there and he's impact. But what Nana is... He's a very steady, stout edge run defender. That's going to give you some quality edge, edge run snaps. That's what you're getting from him. You're not putting him in there to be Khalid Kareem. You're putting him in there to say, "Do your job for 15 to 20 snaps a game," and that's what he does. And he does. One well, I man, he'll have a snap here, a snap there where he gets buried, and I get all that because he's a tad undersized. But mm-hmm. Nana, if you understand what his role is, he does his role pretty well. Is he an impact player? No. But he's also a rotation guy, in my opinion, not a starter. Uh, who will be the next guy in there? It's a great question. I mean, obviously, we'll see what kind of offseason Aiden Gobira has. Uh, we'll see what kind of off offseason Tyson Ford has. Does he fully move inside? I think that he will. But this is where, Brandon, to your point, part of my conversation comes into play about the freshman. Because there's an opportunity for one of those kids to come in and seize that number three job and then potentially get some minutes to where at some point time in the season, they could they could make plays. So I think, I think you'll end up seeing one of the freshmen win that job. And that's where my, my prediction from earlier comes into play.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bank of slash talk to
0: us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Next question from John a one. Did Rubio gain some of his athleticism after being injured his first year? Is there more of a chance now for him to reach his potential that he showed as a high school prospect? Um, Brian, did you get a chance to watch any of the spring game? Did you have a chance to watch Gabriel, I should say any during the spring game? I think he's getting closer to to being the athlete that he was. His motor has always been good. We've got a little bit better burst at the snap, a little bit better closing speed. Uh, there I think he'll I think you'll see him I would say I would I would say yes to John's question. Do I think he'll look more like the guy that they recruited in high school? I think so. I do. I think he's a
2: guy that deserves a lot of reps if that's what you mean there was no part of the spring game that made me say, man, he might lose his second string spot. And we missed
1: on that guy. Right. Exactly.
2: Sometimes you watch a kid and you're like, ah, uh, he didn't really get any better. This may not end up well. Yeah. And he's yeah. still, again, there's only so many guys that are 290 plus.
1: Yeah. And he's up to 302 now and looked, looked quicker than he was a, la- a year ago, which is a positive.
2: So That's I'm easy. hoping that he takes that next step between now and the season, yeah. you know, conditioning and all those little things he can give him 15 to 20 snaps a game where he's a yeah. productive player, maybe 23, 24.
1: And the sources I've talked to think they think he's going to be more disruptive this year because he has been well, quicker, really his conditioning huge. is better. You know, that he can give them, you know, five, six tackles for loss off the bench. Now we'll see if he can get there, but that would be huge. To your point, you were gonna say it, Brian. That would if if you can get disruption production oh, in those yeah, 15, 20 everything. snaps from your number everything. two, three technique, it's huge.
2: Yeah, because let's be honest, most teams that Notre Dame plays, their starting nose guard or three tech are at best Rubio. And most teams probably don't even have that. Notre Dame can rotate those guys in. It's not who you have. It's a combination of who you have and who they, they have too. Notre I'm, Dame is going to have the depth to rotate guys a lot better than most teams they play.
1: Ryan, I'm so glad you said that because that's part of my optimism for this team. Now, (laughs) yes, is their roster to the point where I'm like, no, bring on Georgia, bring on. No, no, they got some stuff to prove there, but their roster is such where it's like, guys, Notre Dame has backups that would be starters for nine or 10 teams that they're going to play this year, depending on the position. But defensive line, there are guys on their defensive line that would be starters at just about every school that they're going to play this year, other than Ohio state and Clemson on the D line. Right. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And, and so I said, man, there's just, there's just no excuse for them not to be, you know, for all the complaining that Notre Dame fans do about Notre Dame linebackers. There's really not many teams on their schedule that have better linebacker play than they do. There's nobody on their schedule with better corners than they have. So that's where you get down to and say, man, this team needs to be really good. Now, championship good remains to be seen. Some guys that haven't proven themselves need to prove themselves if this team is going to be that good. But that's why I get down to it and say this needs to be an at-worst 10-2 and two team, at worst this year because of the, the caliber of their schedule. Jason Onye and Gabriel Rubio and Junior Tualamaka and Nana Osafa Mensa is a better starting defensive line than at least half of the teams that Notre Dame is going to play this year, at least half.
2: There's the main point.
1: So you know what team that's that's not that's not true of? Duke has a surprisingly good defensive line. Really? Dwayne Carter's turned into a really good player for them. They got Jamie on Franklin playing a lot for them. He's a kid, former Notre Dame kid, uh, great kid. Love Jamie on. He's turned out to be you know what I hoped he would be and thought he would be. But Duke actually has to remember they've had a couple good D lines before. Remember they had that D line in nineteen with uh, Chris Rumpf and Victor Demakiji. I think as you say his name. So, surprising, they've actually had some decent defensive lines. They get those undersized 6'2", 6'3", kids that nobody wants because they're 6'2", or 6'3". And so, like, Dwayne Carter was like 6'2 half, 260, coming out of Pickerington Central. Duke got him. And he goes down there, and now he's an all-ACC caliber kid. Uh, 15 minutes so, from
2: Ohio State's campus.
1: That's right. That's right. So, uh, there's some really good players. But just from a pure talent standpoint, I mean, that's where you look at and say – no, so my buddy's like, well, you know, I think you got to accept nine and three. No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't have to accept nine and three because the roster is not a nine and three roster. That means you lost to every good team you played, or you lost to two of the good teams you played, and you lost to somebody you shouldn't have. But there are not more than nine teams on this schedule that have a better roster than Notre Dame. There just aren't, in my opinion. There just aren't. Last couple, we're getting down here to the end. Uh, Nathan Milton said, Brian, anything from your sources on Aiden County, Anna? Uh, not yet but again i'm very early in my empathy stages of getting all the intel that i'm hoping to get that's why we haven't put anything on the board yet but you so so as you guys understand about about middle to like late june i'll start reaching out to sources and trying to get intel on kids and then i kind of build that up over the course of the summer and then hopefully by like mid to late july i'll have an intel piece where i've been able to gather a bunch of information and but you know the only place to find that brian is on the on the message board, everybody, BoardSuppersBreakdown.com. That's that's where all that stuff's going to be. We're not going to be sharing it here. It's going to all be on a message board. So we're going to have some fun with it. Let's get to the next one. Archer452, 24-7 put out the best records against t- teams ranked since 2000. What is the more surprising, Michigan not being in the top ten or Stanford being number nine? Stanford being number nine is not surprising to me at all. If you look at the fact that, number one, not only did Jim Harbaugh win a, and David Shaw win a ton of again games against ranked opponents from like 2010 to 2017 when stanford was like ranked every year but they had a couple big upsets when they weren't good remember the year stanford went like the year that notre dame in 07 yep notre dame who was terrible terrible that year they went three and nine that year and and part of it was because stanford ucla played like their third string quarterback yeah, they were game. terrible quarterback. Yeah. yeah, and they had like Maurice Crum, like returns a fumble. I can't remember if he scored a touchdown or got it inside the five. Like they shouldn't have won that game. Duke was just as, as was even worse than Notre Dame was. And then they beat Stanford. That Stanford team that year that went four and eight beat number two USC at USC. They were under 41 yeah.
2: points.
1: Yeah. So Harbaugh started winning some of those upset games like early. In his, in his tenure at Stanford. So I'm not surprised at all that Stanford has that kind of record. And remember, even just a couple of years ago, Stanford beat Oregon. The year that Oregon uh, uh, that was great. played for the Pac-12, beat Did Oregon. So uh, I'm not surprised by them being in the, the top nine. And I'm also not surprised that Michigan's in the top ten because Michigan doesn't play a lot of top 25 teams. Every year they play two to three top 25 teams a year. That's it. And one of those teams has dominated them for the better part of the last 15 years. And I know the Michigan's like all in their feelings about winning the last two. And I get that. But like, do y'all realize that even with winning the last two, you're still like three and 14 in the last, you know what I mean? Like I'm actually going to go look this up because it's just an absurd um, Ohio what, State what the owned them is.
2: for a long time. Oh my like, God,
1: Michigan credit yeah.
2: for flipping it here the last couple of years too.
1: Yeah, so like Michigan's won the last two, but if you go back to see four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, if you go back to the year two thousand and include that game, Ohio State is seventeen and four against Michigan.
2: That means they won over eighty percent of their games.
1: Michigan won in 2000, 2003. They beat them in, no, I'm sorry, uh, they're 19 and 5. So let's see 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 17 and 5. And that includes the last two wins. So Michigan won in 2000. They won in oh three. They won in 2011, the year that Ohio State was stunk after Trussell was fired. And then they won the last two. So even with a two-game winning streak, they're seven. They're five and seventeen against Ohio State. The last since the year two thousand. So uh, I'm not shocked by that at all. That I mean that 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 record alone is going to keep them out of the top ten. And the only way to get into the top ten is if you just dominated all the other opponents that were ranked, and they they haven't. So uh, yeah, you know, like State and Wisconsin, yeah, and, and like years. like. Um, you know Michigan and Penn State have for the, for the most part you know Michigan's had the last couple, but for the most part what they did in the, in the 2010 since hardball was there is they pretty much rotated a home team normally won uh, since 2000, Notre Dame and Michigan are about 50 50. see Notre Dame is three, four, five six, seven uh, since 2000, Michigan is eight and seven against Notre Dame so you're basically 50 50. I don't know how many of those Notre Dame teams were ranked. Uh, so uh, let's see, 2000 was the 02, 03. Notre Dame was not ranked in 03. When they beat them. Uh, Notre Dame was ranked in 06 when they beat them. They were not ranked in 07. They were not ranked in 09. They were not ranked in 2010. I believe they were ranked in 2011, uh, 13, and 19. So they had four wins over a ranked Notre Dame team uh, back then. And then when you look at, uh, let's see here. I'm going to try to find the number of times that Notre Dame beat Michigan when they were ranked. Um, let's see, football rivalry. Let's get this answer here real quick. So if you look at uh, Notre Dame against them when they're ranked, so since 2000, let's see, Michigan uh, – so so Notre Dame, where is that? All right, it doesn't give the other team's ranking on that, so I'll have to, to find that one. But anyway, here, let's do it this way, Brian. So they when did they play? They played in two thousand and two. So let's go to Notre Dame two thousand and two, and I believe that they were ranked uh, that year. Notre Dame won. So uh, Notre Dame beat number seven Michigan. So that's one and zero for Notre Dame. In two thousand and three, number five Michigan beat number nineteen Notre Dame. So that's one and one. 2004, Notre Dame was not ranked. So Michigan won, but Notre Dame was not ranked because we're talking about against top 25 teams. Uh, The next year in 2005, number 20 Notre Dame beat number three Michigan. So that's two and one. Uh, The next year, Michigan beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame was number two. Michigan was number 11. So that's two and two. Notre Dame was not ranked in 07. Uh, Notre Dame in 2008, neither team was ranked. 2009, Notre Dame uh, was ranked 18th and Michigan beat them so that's 3 and th- 2 and 3 for Notre Dame 2 and 3 2010 neither team was ranked 2011 Notre Dame was not ranked 2012 Notre Dame was ranked 11th they beat Michigan who was ranked 18 so or excuse me Michigan was ranked 18 yeah Notre Dame was 11 so that's 3 and 3 2013 Notre Dame was ranked 14th Michigan beat them so that's uh, 3 and 4 2014, let's see here. Michigan was not ranked when Notre Dame beat them 31 nothing. 2015, I don't think they played. 2016, they didn't play. 2017, they didn't play. 2018, they played. Notre Dame beat them. Uh, Notre Dame beat number 14 Michigan, and then so that makes them four and four. And then Michigan beat a ranked Notre Dame team in in 2009. So they're they're five and four against Notre Dame. They're slightly over 50 50 against Michigan. So again, or Penn State. So again, how many ranked teams are they playing outside of that? Some w- Wisconsin some years or Iowa some years. So the point is when you're 50 50 against Notre Dame and and, and Ohio State and, and, and uh Penn State, even if you win the Michigan State series, which they didn't control that series either, you know, for a good chunk of the last decade, and you're five and seventeen against Ohio State you're not going to be a top 10 team against ranked opponents. That's just the reality of it. So, yeah. Somebody said there, too, don't forget that Michigan ducked Ohio State in 2020. And yeah, they did. They absolutely did. So, yeah. Irish not what do you weigh more when grading quarterbacks, projecting for college? Measurables, arm strength, arm talent, accuracy, release, mental awareness, competitiveness, and leadership. The answer to that is yes. I mean, it's all part of the equation, though, right? I mean, I don't know that I weigh... I think the one that I would probably put near the bot, like in the bottom half, is arm strength for college.
2: One hundred percent, especially for college.
1: Yeah, it might actually be of these of these things. I would put it last. The bottom. Yeah.
2: I would put mental awareness number one because that's usually what separates, like yep. Deshaun Watson knew when to take hole shots and stuff like that. Yep. It's,
1: there's a feel to that. Of those three, Brian, the ones that I would put at the the, the top. Mental awareness, number one, leadership, competitiveness, all would be at the top. And then after that, it comes down to arm talent. Because see, some of those like arm talent and accuracy go That's hand in so hand. It's almost the same thing. You can't have accuracy, you can't have arm talent if you don't have accuracy. Now, now to his question, arm strength and accuracy are two completely different things. But arm talent to me is accuracy. It is a repeatable release. You know, repeatable doesn't mean same angle. You can be a guy that changes angles, but you can repeat and be accurate out of all of them. Those two things to me go with arm talent. And, and, and I'd also say competitiveness and leadership are kind of one thing to me. Like if you're competitive, you know, you can, you can be a competitive guy and not a great leader, but if you're a great leader, you can't be a great leader and not be competitive. Like you just, cause then you're not a leader. You're not competitive. That's a la- an utter lack of leadership. Someone who's not competitive. So I put those two together uh, and those are number two, and then armed talent would be then number three because accuracy and release are part of armed talent. Thoughts on that, Brian? If I had to rank them, I mean,
2: mental awareness to me is especially number one. Uh, if you want to – again, we, how you want to rank it is goofy, but accuracy in some capacity has got to be up there, and then that competitiveness and, and leadership. If you've got a consistent motion and you're a smart kid, that leadership and competitiveness comes in really big because – football today with everybody shoving a microphone in front of your face and stuff like that. When to say something, when not to. That's part of leadership. There's so yeah. many things. Man, I know having the big arms fun, but that it's not the same, man. A lot of the best guys with arm strength end up sucking.
1: Right. It's just not And it's that's not what not makes easy, guys man. like Bryce Young so special.
2: Yeah, he has a There's good Because not only arm, does he have a big arm
1: right. and, and but in the mental release and uh, the, the he had mental awareness. He had armed talent. He was accurate at a great release. He's also a great leader. You know, he had, he had the competitiveness as well. Uh, There's a lot of five-star quarterbacks that aren't going to be willing to sit behind Mac Jones for a year. It's not going to do it. Went up and transfer. And when they get beat out in the spring, they're going to transfer. And he didn't, he took it as, okay, well, I'm not happy about it, but how am I going to learn? And then you've got guys that have all the arm talent in the world. And I wouldn't take them on my team Like, everybody keeps saying, man, if only Deshaun Kaiser would have come back in 2017, pass. He would have had to have a completely different – he'd have had to have a personality transplant that offseason before I would have wanted him back as my quarterback in 2017. Simple as that. Like, yeah, no, Brandon Wimbush was not the passer. But you know what Brandon was in 2017? A much better leader than Deshaun was, which is why that team came together. Uh, It's not a coincidence that basically the same team in 2017 went 10-3 and with Brandon and went 4-8. and Deshaun at quarterback or was he at four and eight yeah so that stuff matters man and and I would argue Deshaun Kaiser had more armed talent than Malik Zaire but there's a reason that team was so much more effective when Malik was their quarterback is because he had the other traits the competitiveness the leadership players wanted to play for him that was a big difference between those two guys we're talking NFL prospects it's not even close Deshaun's a much better NFL prospect than Malik was But I'll take Malik, healthy Malik, over Deshaun as my starting college quarterback any day of the week. And that's something that a lot of people that covered the team missed in 2016 when they kept trying to say Deshaun's the guy, Deshaun's the guy. No, no, no. You're obsessing over arm talent. I want a guy that wins and that's competitive, that's a leader, that the players want to play for. And that's so important in college, man, so important in college. This last question is going to be for you, Brian. Patrick King says, what was the true story? Behind why Randy Moss, number one all time for me, did not get a chance or was unable to, unable to play for Notre Dame. This question has been asked a few times recently. I was like, I need to wait until Brian's on the show to get some of the backstory on this. Because <laughs> it's a combination of factors. Yeah, right? I, I, I mean, did a,
2: a podcast on my own little thing about this recently. I was told all of the following. Take it for whatever you want to do. His application was incomplete in pencil and two types of ink um how accurate that is i don't know but that's never a good start it was also late uh he got in trouble with a fight where he got it beat the crap out of a guy and he'd already you know his attitude was never good his grades were borderline at best if he hadn't been randy moss he wouldn't have even got to that point Mm -hmm. he's the best prospect i've ever seen on film and that's the end of the discussion so
1: if he doesn't have the fight he's at notre dame
2: he wouldn't have lasted probably, but yeah, they, they maybe, were willing to, get to not. this. Right, but Don't that know. was like the end, like okay, well, this kid's not yeah. coming to our campus, and so we're not getting sued over him or something. That was it.
1: Yeah, they lost him. Two huge losses that year. They lost him and James Jackson that year.
2: Actually, there's like, three.
1: I've well, told the
2: third? Oh, he was pretty
1: good. You ready? You're sitting down, so I'll tell you. Javon Curse. Oh, I knew that one. I thought, I'm thought i talking about guys that had signed with Notre Dame because J- James Jackson signed with Notre Dame. I actually told this story recently, Brian. Alex Mueller. Yeah, no, you, yeah, he's the guy got the scholarship supposed to go to Curse.
2: Curse just waited too long.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. I know a lot of people have said Allen, Iver- Allen Iverson was never going to come to Notre Dame because he was never going to play football. Race. Well, yeah, he was he never going to play football. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. He was, he was going to play basketball. Was always going to be a basketball player, and he should have. Yes, exactly.
2: (laughs) That was okay.
1: And I'll say this, and I know, I know, Allen Iverson was great at football, but the best high school football player I have, and I've played against Plexico Burris, I've played against Ronald Curry. It's not even close. Yeah. I mean, people say, "Why did nobody ever hear about Michael Vick?" Because he played in the same league as Ronald Curry. That's why nobody knew who the heck Michael Vick. When you're not even the best player in your in your high school league. You know what I mean? What happened to Curry, not even the injury, it was him choosing to go to North Carolina instead of Florida State or Michigan. That's really what it boiled down to. He chose the basketball school because Boov Williams convinced him he was a basketball player. Ronald Curry had no left hand as a basketball player. He was just a great athlete. He had no left hand to speak of. He was not a basketball – he was a great high school basketball player because he was just so much more athletic than everybody else. If Ronald Curry would have committed to football, and I love the fact that he's a, a college, an NFL assistant coach, and all that now, because I, I think the world of Ronald Curry, and I am glad he's having success. And he ended up playing the NFL as a wide receiver, which tells you about his athleticism. After a torn Achilles, he became an NFL wide receiver. If if Ronald Curry would have made the decision to even go to Virginia Tech, but if he would have gone to to Florida State, or because he would have been playing for uh, for um, Mark Richt his first couple years. Uh, he he would have been the quarterback over Chris Winky on those championship teams. There's, there's no doubt in my mind, or he would have replaced Winky But if he would have gone to Florida state or Michigan, those are the other two teams he wanted to go play for and committed to football. He'd have been the number one overall draft pick, in my opinion, a quarterback. I Did truly he? believe that because he was a freaky athlete, but he was a natural passer. Ronald had an arm. I watched him in a high school. You remember Dion Dyer? Remember him played in North Carolina. I remember I was a senior and, and Ronald was a junior and I had heard all this stuff and I thought I was a pretty good player. And like I said, I, I played, I played against Ray black I played against Plexiglas. I'm like, all right, let me go check out this Ronald Curry guy. And I watched him play. This is when he was a junior and they're playing deep Creek. And I think that deep Creek team had like seven or eight guys that went and played D one football. This is back when deep Creek was really good. Um, and and our area was loaded that year. James Boyd, remember he played it, started at Penn State for a few years at state. He was in the league. We we played them in the playoffs my sophomore year, and they beat us. But I went and watched him play against Deep Creek in the playoffs. And he had three touchdown passes. He had a rushing touchdown on like a 50-yard option play. He had a like a 75-yard punt return for a touchdown. And he picked off a pass and ran it back for a touchdown. And his shortest touchdown pass was like nine yards, but he threw it from like the 40 because he kept running backwards. Like they were trying to chase him and he escapes him. And from like the 35, 40 yard line, just flicks the ball in the back of the end zone. I think he might have hit like Bobby Blizzard with the ball or something like that. And you're just like, like watching, like this guy is, such, I mean, uh, this guy's on such a different level than everyone I've ever played with or against. And I, again, I'm telling you, I've, I played against some guys that were really freaking good. And I'm like, this guy makes us all look like children. I mean, he was just the most unbelievable football player I've ever seen in my life. And, and I still, I mean, and I'm talking about being at the army all American games and everything I've seen with my own eyes. Ronald Curry was an unbelievable player, Uh, unbelievable player. He just um, made the wrong decision. He made, this is why it's so important. You got to pick the right school, man. And he, he was convinced he was a basketball player. And if he would have, if he would have stuck with football, man, so, Ronald Curry and Randy Moss, to me, are the two best high school football players I've ever seen in my life. And Randy Moss's high school film is insane. I mean, it is, it is his college highlights were every bit as insane. But I, I, would he have made it at Notre Dame? I, probably not for the same reason he didn't last at Florida State.
2: He was going to smoke weed no matter what. Yeah.
1: So, it is what it is. All right, Brian, that's going to do it for today's show. Great, great job today, man. So I really appreciate you being with me today. This was a lot of fun. We're going to be back tomorrow. I think it's going to be Ryan, me and Vince tomorrow on Friday for our Notre Dame football mailbag. In 20 minutes, you guys are going to have an IB Nation sports talk show, which Sean Styers. You're going to definitely want to check that out. If you have not done so, sign up for the boards at board, boards at irishbreakdown.com. We'd greatly appreciate that. And, of course, sign up for the CFP or go subscribe to the CFP Nation channel. You guys will enjoy that very much. And uh, have a great rest of your day. We thank you all for being with us. Love talking D-line. That mailbag was forever. Didn't feel like it. But, man, we went like two hours on that mailbag. Some great questions today, everybody. And, of course, Brian, next week we're going to launch Brian's show at CFB Nation. It's going to be uh, – we're going to talk about southeastern recruiting. He's going to have a road show during the season. He and I will do some shows where we talk about national recruiting, college football in general. Uh, July is going to be a much busier month on the CFB Nation channel for sure. So you're going to, want to make sure you subscribe to our podcast app for that. So for Brian, I'm also Brian. You all have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. <laughs>